0: Uh, this is the Digital Inclusion Track, and we are kicking off with the Federal Communications Commission Disability Rights Office, and we have two guests with us today. Our first guest is Diane Burstein. And Diane is the Deputy Director. Uh excuse, Deputy Director Chief. Excuse me. Um, Deputy Bureau Chief, there we go. And that's for the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau. And we also have Will Shell, Attorney Advisor for the Federal Communications Commission. So Diane, I'll turn it over to you. Good afternoon and welcome to the ACB legislative seminar. Thank you so
1: much, Clark. And, uh, yes, I'm Deputy Bureau Chief of the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau of the FCC. I know that's a mouthful. Easy um, for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, in that role, for those of you who uh, are not familiar with it, I oversee the work of the FCC oh. Disability Rights Office. Okay, I got Uh, I just was going to thank you for inviting me back to the Legislative Summit. Um, I know I was here, uh, gosh, was it almost a year and a half ago, in real life as opposed to virtually. Um, But today I'd like to virtually share a few updates from the FCC and plan to provide a brief overview of some of our current rules regarding accessibility for people who are blind or visually impaired cover some updates from last year, and give a preview of what's ahead in uh, 2021. And then Will Shell, I will, uh, team lead for the Disability Rights Office complaint team, will talk about complaints at the FCC, and then we'll leave some time for questions at the end. First, though, for um, those of you who don't regularly interact with the FCC, I wanted to provide some background on the Disability Rights Office or DRO. Um, DRO is staffed with many dedicated attorneys and analysts and it's housed in the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau of the FCC. And for those of you who may not follow the FCC as closely as others, the FCC is currently headed by Acting Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel. The acting chairwoman previously served as an FCC commissioner and is well-versed in many of our issues. She's part of a four-person FCC at the moment. There's currently a vacancy on the commission. But I digress. Back to DRO. Uh, DRO has a broad portfolio. Its responsibilities range from helping consumers with complaints about particular problems with accessible video programming, telecommunications, and emergency communications, to advising the Commission on Complex Rulemaking Proceedings, to organizing the disability, right, uh, I'm sorry, disability Advisory Committee, and much more. DRO also engages in outreach to organizations representing members of the disability community, and we're fortunate to be able to rely on the expertise of the national leaders at ACB leaders like Clark, Eric Bridges, and Tony Stevens, and many more to help keep us informed about the needs and interests of the blind community. And of course, meetings like this one, even if conducted virtually, help to keep us on top of community concerns. In addition to this informal outreach, there are several ways to bring concerns in a more formal manner to the attention of the FCC. Filing comments in FCC proceedings is one effective way to ensure the commission addresses issues of importance to the blind and visually impaired community, and I know ACB has been active in that respect. Another valuable way is to file individual complaints with the Disability Rights Office, and Will will talk about that process in more detail in a minute. This past October... We celebrated the 10th anniversary of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, CVAA. Many of the FCC's rules in the accessibility area arose from that landmark law. And we don't have enough time this afternoon to go into detail about all these rules, but I want to provide a quick refresher on some of the requirements arising from the CVAA that DRO deals with on a regular basis. The CVA requires telecommunications devices to be accessible to individuals with disabilities, compatible with accessible devices, such as refreshable Braille displays, and usable by individuals who are blind or visually impaired. It mandates that internet browsers on smartphones and other mobile devices must be accessible by people who are blind or visually impaired. The CVA also established the National Deafblind Equipment Distribution Program, NDBDP, also known as I Can Connect, a $10 million a year program that distributes telecommunications equipment to people who are low income and who are deafblind. And that's been a great success over the years. The CVA also requires emergency information announced on television to be accessible. If you're blind and watching TV and you hear those three beeps, these tones alert you to activate the secondary audio stream where you'll be able to find audible emergency information. It's also important to be able to switch over to the secondary audio stream quickly in order to hear this information. And our rules also require that a quick and easy to use mechanism must be available to switch to that secondary audio stream and emergency information. Another set of rules arising from the CVAA requires set-top boxes and all devices that play video programming to be accessible. The rules require accessible user interfaces for people who are blind or visually impaired and a means to be able to operate or use all or nearly all the functions of a device that plays video programming. This includes the settings, menus, channel selection, start, stop, fast forward, and similar features. The CBA also requires the FCC to periodically update its audio description rules. Right now, the rules require that the most popular channels pro- <coughs> excuse me, provide described video on the secondary audio stream. Our rules were updated in October last year and to require 10 additional television market areas a year for the next four years to include audio description in their broadcasts. Last year, local TV station affiliates of ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC, located in the top 60 TV markets, as well as the top five non-broadcast networks, Discovery, Channel, History, TBS, HGTV, and USA Network, were required to each provide 87.5 hours per quarter, about seven hours per week of audio described primetime and or children's programming. Now, as of January 1, 2021, the number of television markets covered by the audio description rules has expanded to 70. Next January, it will be 80. That will continue each year until we reach a requirement for audio description of the top network affiliates in the top 100 TV markets. Every three years, the FCC reviews the rankings for the top five non-broadcast networks to keep it current, And the FCC is in the middle of that process now. We don't have the final network list yet, but the new list will go into effect on July 1, 2021. In previous years, you may have heard us saying video description when we talked about these rules. Our rules called audio description, video description. This only added to the confusion because some people call it descriptive video service. Well, as part of the rules adopted last October, we've now changed how the FCC refers to audio description as audio description. This could not have been done without a push from ACB and their associates like Joel Snyder and Carl Richardson. So thank you for that. In other developments since the last legislative seminar, the FCC released a biennial report to Congress on the accessibility of communications technologies. We asked the public detailed questions about the extent to which accessibility barriers still exist with respect to new and existing tech communications technologies. ACB and its members responded. They told us that inexpensive non-smartphones were inaccessible to people who were blind or visually impaired. The FCC included this valuable feedback in a report to Congress. And we encourage ACB and its members to continue to provide input to the FCC. It really makes a difference. And you can keep track of these types of requests for comments by subscribing to accessinfo at FCC.gov, the FCC's disability-specific listserv that will keep you apprised of all the FCC's disability-related work. I'd also like to highlight the work of the Commission's Disability Advisory Committee, the DAC. The DAC provides advice and recommendations to the Commission on a wide array of disability-related issues within the FCC's jurisdiction. The DAC was recently renewed and had its first meeting of its fourth two-year term just last week. The DAC provides a means for stakeholders with interest in accessibility issues to exchange ideas facilitates the participation of consumers with disabilities in proceedings before the commission, and assists the commission in educating the greater disability community and interested stakeholders on disability-related matters. Clark is ACB's designated representative for the DAC, and we thank you for devoting your time and and attention to this important advisory committee. Acting Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel attended last week's DAC meeting and made some important remarks. Among other things, she noted how she had worked on the CVAA while serving as counsel to the Senate Commerce Committee, or this, I'm sorry, the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. So these issues are very important to her. In fact, a signed copy of the CVA was hanging outside her office door back in the day. She recognizes that accessibility and functional equivalency must continue in all the work we do. This is especially true during the time we are spending apart due to COVID-19. Access to medical appointments, emergency news, and communicating with friends and family have changed and are more important than ever. Last week's DAC meeting had a fascinating discussion about accessibility gaps that have become all too apparent during the pandemic. And one area in particular that was highlighted by many DAC members concerned accessibility challenges and accessing video platforms. Since we've moved to so many virtual meetings like the one today, this is a really important issue of the day and one that we'll be paying close attention to. The pandemic has also highlighted the importance of access to broadband for work, school, telehealth, and so much more. Recognizing the importance of broadband access, Congress charged the FCC with implementing a $3.2 billion emergency broadband benefit, or EBB, program. Under the EBB, Congress directed the FCC to establish a program under which low-income households can receive a discount during the pandemic, of up to $50 a month per household or $75 a month per household on tribal lands from the cost of broadband service, and also provides a one-time $100 reimbursement for the purchase of certain connected devices, excuse me, such as laptops, desktop computers, or tablets from a qualified provider. The FCC was given a very short period to stand up the program and issue rules, which have not yet come out, but should be soon. The acting chairwoman announced that the FCC is seeking outreach partners to help share important consumer information about this EVB program. And as part of the effort to inform consumers, the FCC has established a new website where stakeholders can sign up to help promote this very important new program. This website can be found at fcc.gov Backslash broadband benefit. As the program is developed, the website will also serve as a resource for consumers and stakeholders to get the latest information on the EBB. So I really encourage you to check it out. I want to thank ACB again for giving the FCC a few minutes to speak, and I don't want to monopolize, monopolize our time here. So before we go to questions, I want to pass the mic over to Will Shell for him to talk about complaints a little and what you can do to help enforce the rules that i've i've talked about today that we already have in place. Thanks very much will
2: uh, thanks thanks Diane. and um, I can already see we have a question so that's really exciting. please uh start raising your hand because uh, we every every year that we've come to the um, leadership seminar, uh, it's always been a lot of questions. One, uh, question that comes up all the time is something that I wind up just having to respond to by talking about filing a complaint with our office. Right. So, um, one thing before we get into questions is that I wanted to tell people that I don't believe that the blind uh, community is filing enough complaints, right? I'm a uh, blind attorney at the, at the disability rights office in the FCC and, um, I feel like when talking to uh, other blind community members, they're, they're always mentioning issues that should have been filed as a complaint with our office. So our office, as Diane pointed out, ha- really handles television um, and, and the things associated with television and um, gaining uh, accessible access to those video programming services and uh, telephones and the things associated with telephones. Um, And also, you know, all of the nuances within that uh, advanced communication services, text messaging and email. Um, And uh, just my gut, I have no data to prove this, but uh, I I feel like the blind community is not filing enough complaints uh, telling us that they can't gain access to their set-top box uh, in an accessible manner. The reason why I bring this up is that I talk to a lot of People, people. Uh, I, I get a lot of people who file complaints, and I wind up talking to them a lot. And very often, they don't know that there is a way for them to turn on audio description on their cable box, or they don't know that they already own a an, a, a talking set top box that will uh, allow them to read the program guide and menus on the set top box. So please this audience that's listening now is a very informed audience but you know other people in the blind community who aren't on this conference and who are not quite as informed who didn't sit through the super exciting um fcc meeting (laughs) and instead decided to go to the slightly less exciting hhs meeting and um I, I only joke because I used to work at the Office for Civil <laughs> Rights at Health and Human Services, so uh, I get to poke a little bit of fun at them. Um, but um, for the, if you know that people aren't here, uh, inform them that they have a right to an accessible set-top box and that audio description is available. Um, it's just not always easy to figure out how to turn it on. Um, and um, having said that, Um, Also, communication services, right? Um, So your phones are supposed to be accessible to you. Um, And again, this group who's joining the leadership (laughs) meeting, this is an informed group who uh, very likely is well experienced with their phones and computers and how the accessibility solutions Uh, I got on before this meeting started. And there was all of the talk of Fusion and JAWS and, and all of the technology uh, things and the, the secret codes to, to type into the system in order to do the secret things. And what we need is uh, what the FCC is asking for you is to also inform the people who are not as versed in those areas and who need a cell phone, right? Everyone needs a cell phone, but there's the functionality of dialing somebody, but then there's all the other features that are on there many of the features on phones um, need to be accessible under our rules. I say many because it's not all, um, but it is uh, many of the features. And just making a phone call is only one of the features that needs to be accessible. So just very quickly, um, we have a complaints system. It is online at FCC.gov complaints with an S at the end. Uh, FCC.gov slash complaints, and there will be some categories to choose from, TV, telephones, emergency information, um, but there's one for people with disabilities because the types of complaints that we get regarding television um, is so broad um, that the general public oftentimes uh, they overwhelm that system with uh, with complaints about the swear words on, on TV or commercials are too loud. Um, and so we're really interested in the access for people with disabilities complaint section where you can find uh, accessibility complaint forms for television for people who are blind or visually impaired or um, telephones. The complaints generally operate in you file a complaint uh, and then we will connect with the um, the service, the telephone service or the um, video programming service. And then we come back uh, to you. Well, hopefully they send you a message telling you how they have resolved it or informing you uh, about how their service uh, works. So you can turn on audio description or you can access the accessible set top box. Um, and, sometimes it 's slightly different, so for video programming, we will uh, just send a message and wait for a response um, from the from the video programmer. but for telephone related uh, complaints, we will actually reach out and start having a conversation about uh, with the with the covered entity and then uh, sorry with the um, phone carrier or the phone manufacturer, and then we will come back to you and have a further conversation about whether or not their solution or, or the accessibility solution involved is, is uh, uh, acceptable to you. So there's slightly different um, complaint processes, but uh, for for your purposes, filing, it's it's really the same. FCC.gov slash complaints. Or if you don't uh, find the online complaint form to be to your liking, you can send us an email at dro at FCC.gov. Um, or you can call us. I should, uh, I should look up the phone number. I never call myself, but um, uh, you can also call us um, and we will help you uh, file a complaint um, that way. The phone number that you can call, if you wish, is 202 418 2517. And uh, with that, I think we should just jump straight into complaints because I'll be talking more and more about filing a complaint with many of these questions, I'm sure. So um, I can see six
0: already. Yeah. Th- thanks, Will. And thank you, Diane. Will, before we jump into q and as our Zoom host gets ready, would you mind giving the email address and the phone number one more time? Absolutely. Uh,
2: the main email address that you can send any question you have regarding complaints or just questions about disability related issues at the FCC, you can send that to DRO at FCC.gov. That stands for Disability Rights Office. So DRO at FCC.gov. And our phone number is 202-418-2517. Um, And I should mention, uh, Clark is pretty good about forwarding FCC-related issues directly to me. So (laughs) send all your messages to
0: Clark and he'll just... Uh, I want to give Will all (laughs) the job security he is looking for by forwarding those complaints along, whether they're wireless and phone-related or audio description and accessible uh, video hardware-related. So again, thank you, Will. Thank you, Diane. And let's open it up to questions from our audience.
3: Okay, Mitchell, you should be on mute.
0: Um, okay, I should be uh, uh, unmuted now. Uh, Hi, Mitchell. You, you are. Hello. Um, okay, so this is a question that I've honestly had for a very long time, but now is the perfect time to ask. So, um, for games consoles that have um, voice chat, and because the CBA requires voice ch- uh, chat pr- applications to be accessible, um, what happens if the voice chat is in an accessible phone app, but the phone app to access voice chat you have to go through an inaccessible menu to get to where um, you can access and start the voice chat from the pho- from
2: your phone? Uh, that's a great. That's a really great question, and it actually uh, it's a it's a complicated answer that I think you know we can. We can avoid for right now by just saying that generally speaking, you know um, voice chat services over the internet um, all, uh, do have to be accessible under our rules, including whether they're part of video games or whether they're part of some other part of the internet
0: correct that's what I thought
2: uh, right so um, and then and then very generally as well, the process you need uh, to get and activate and utilize that voice chat service would also be covered under that same rule so that that okay. part would need to be accessible and i'm saying very broadly and generally because everything gets complicated when the when you start getting the facts uh, of the situation but um right yes, right no exactly correct
0: yep thank you thank you well then I'm definitely going to get on get on that because I just was not sure if like if I was technically wrong or if I was right. <laughs> yeah, um. and,
2: and there's a lot of nuances. I want you. I definitely want we as I as I said. I want the complaints. I want to see the complaints. But uh, there's always a lot of nuances within the rules. Like um, it depends on what year um, this game was made, uh, mm-hmm. and because there was a waiver for video games for quite a quite a long time, and it only. Right recently expired. So it would have to be a newer game and things like that. Or, or if significant updates, correct? That's right. And what is a significant update? I don't know yet. We'll have to see, uh, we'll have to see in each one, you know, but <laughs> definitely send
0: that in. Thank you for that question. And just to dovetail off of that, before we go to our next question, Will, uh, that was specific to uh, audio or two-way voice communication. If there's a uh, two-way real-time or near-real-time text communication within a video game, does that have to be accessible as well? And do the menus have to be accessible to, to utilize that service as well, similar to your previous answer?
2: That's correct. Um, I should just... Yes, it's the same scenario as uh, was described regarding um, the voice voice chat would be the same for text chat. I should just mention that it does not include text chatting with video game not like characters on the screen. It is between,
0: between humans. Thank you. All right. Our next question.
4: Kristen, you should be able to unmute. Hello. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, hi, yes. Kristen. Hi. Okay. Um, so my question is regards to um, uh, the streaming, video oh, streaming right service. Here called uh youtube tv um because as we all know a lot of people more and more people are moving away from um uh paying for like cable television or satellite and instead are moving towards streaming services um and i myself have um subscribed to youtube tv for the past oh gosh three or four years. And um, my question, though, I have noticed that um, uh, on some devices, when I use YouTube TV, I can get audio description, and on some devices I cannot. The main device that I want to get audio description is on the um, Fire TV stick from Amazon, and I've spoken to Amazon about this, and they just put it off on YouTube TV being the problem. And, but I can get the, um, audio description for the same channels or the same sh- content with, uh, through Apple TV, my Apple TV, um, device, uh, using the YouTube TV app. So I know that it exists for what I'm trying to watch, but it is not available on the Fire TV stick with YouTube TV. So I'm wondering if you guys, if the FCC is aware of this problem.
2: Um, so that's a really good, uh, see, this is, I always love coming to the, <laughs> to this particular meeting because the questions are actually really complicated um, and and looking ahead. So again, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say every question or every answer that I have is complicated, but lawyers are going to, you know, they're going to do their lawyering thing and never give you an exact answer. The The deal is, is that uh, we ha- our rules right now, you, you may be a little bit ahead of our rules. So our rules right now cover the accessibility of, traditional cable, satellite and fiber services and online streaming services um, primarily that come pre-installed onto a device and where you're falling is right somewhere in the middle where you're streaming a traditional cable package with live programming um, and all of the regular networks. All those networks and everything are doing their job at at, at sending over the audio description. Uh, so I'll be honest; I don't know or I don't believe that YouTube TV app on any of those devices that you mentioned would have a requirement to be able to turn on and off the audio description. But I believe that they would want to. So I think that that would be uh, again another complaint that we would be interested in having. But I should. Warn you that our rules may not exactly cover it. I do think that we may, under those circumstances, we might help reach out to uh, a few of the, of the companies just to say this seems like an important uh, area that you should try to try to resolve because they certainly are holding themselves out as a cable company that you stream and you know you should get the accessibility features that they already have built in. It just doesn't seem to be working on, on a particular device.
1: Okay.
4: So, um, like I said, I mean, I already, I also have Apple TV. It's just not my preferred device. Um, and, uh, YouTube TV audio description works on the Apple TV. It just does not work on the fire TV stick.
2: Yeah. I know that they have, I know that YouTube TV has audio, they are passing through audio description, and if it's not working on a device like the um, Amazon Fire Stick, I'm sure that they would like to hear about that. So YouTube TV developed the app and then put it, uh, made it available on Amazon's platform. I, I kind of agree with um, Amazon's response that this is probably YouTube TV's um, you know res- responsibility to fix. I don't think Amazon can can h- help with that. Problem, but I think YouTube TV would be interested in hearing about it for sure. And, Chris, and that's to- something
0: that the, the ACB National Office, if you email us at advocacy at ACB dot org, we'd be happy to help you uh, to chase that up the food chain, whether it's with YouTube or also filing a complaint at the FCC Disability Rights Office. So right. thank you for that comment, and we'll go on to our next question.
3: Janine, you should be able to mute.
0: Hi, my name is Janine. How
3: are you? Hi, Janine. Hi. Good. Hey, so I have a question about audio description. Now I've learned all the rules and they have to do like seven hours a week and stuff. So, And I've learned the technical things. So there's this one program that I really love and they do a very, very poor, 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 horrible, horrendous job at audio describing it. But it counts. So I've emailed the audio company, I've emailed the network, I've emailed. So I, I've really tried to be like, okay, your audio description sucks, but in nicer words, like I, I use nicer professional words, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to be professional and to, yeah. <laughs> um, so how do I make them be better and describe better? Because I, I, I'll just say it's the mass Singer. Ice cream walks out. Sun walks out. Like, they don't describe the clue packages. Like, that should not count for part of their hours of audio description.
2: Wow. Another really good question. Uh, because... Like,
3: it, it's not just that show, but other shows, like, I, game shows, like, Steve Harvey's Fist Puffs. Like, there's many shows that they, they get counted for and they don't describe anything except one, like, oh, bright lights are on the stage. Right. That's it. That's all I get. Okay. Right.
2: What you're raising is uh, another, just a real stumper uh, for our office. Again, I think you're ahead of our rules because the quality of audio description has not been laid out in any of our rules. And I think we, uh, uh, the community at large would know good quality audio description when you hear it, but Um, as far as it being within our rules, it's really, it's really not. So there is a question. I mean, I can, I can, you know, not only give you non-answers as a lawyer, but I can also (laughs) speculate as a lawyer um, where if a show is describing so little, there could be an argument that they're not actually describing the show and that it would fail to meet the audio description requirements just a whole cloth because they were so short but that has never been that's never been presented to us so if you know if during the 1 hour show all they said was five words that people on stage or something like that i could see the argument that this isn't actually audio described again it's all going to depend upon the facts but um that's not one that i've ever it it would be it would be very uh, a very new type of complaint for us and certainly not covered by our rules. But we may be able to do uh, another situation where we oh you know what else should reach out to ACB uh, leadership. What's the email address again? Clark.
0: <laughs> Advocacy at acb.org. And we would be happy to share that with Will and the FCC. And Will, correct me if I'm wrong, but the FCC has done some work, the previous DAC has done some work on audio description guidelines. Yes.
2: Um, there, there has been some work on audio description quality. Uh, it's primarily... It was primarily f- regarding the delivery of audio description, um, the quality of, you know, sending information through. But yeah, there's definitely been the the issue around audio description quality and what makes for good <laughs> audio description has been around for a long time. I don't think anything's been set in stone because, I mean, some people uh, get very upset if... The reveal let 's take the masked singer again, I think that was the show that we 're talking about if if describe her if the describer announces who won before before the uh, live television announcer wins or 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 what have you, uh, or does it super late um, you know and you miss the laughter moment you miss the punchline of the joke, all of those are really really um. Decisions that have to be made by the writers and by the voice actor who's doing the um, description, and so trying to nail down the details of what is or isn't quality uh, audio description just gets so hard that I think it's it's nearly it's nearly impossible to actually get right because there's always going to be exceptions but um you know, I'd be I'd be interested in seeing in seeing the complaint. We just may give you some bad news that we can't uh, do anything with it, but uh, it definitely would go. We um, we uh, Diane had mentioned that there's ways for people to file comments in, on the on the records, and this might be actually a really good comment for us to consider as as uh, rules
0: kind of progress uh, and change. All right, great. And our next question,
3: Christine, you can unmute. Um, as
4: you pointed out, the the um, size of the market has something to do with uh, whether a person uh, can expect audio description. Does the size of the market have anything to do with set top boxes, or does only December of twenty seventeen matter for that? So, and we have friends who who just got a box, but it could be old. You know, you don't know when you get that box how long they've had it.
2: Yeah, it that's that's a that's a really good question. There are some cable companies who have who have been excused from this accessible set top box rule. But it is very, very small uh markets. This is low this is, fiber. The, yeah, this is gonna be um a a handful of cable companies that are really I think they were described as like farming community cable services where there's like, you know, 25 people on on one connection. So there's a handful out there that are exempt from these rules. I think most of them are operating with old analog systems. Um, But I'd say I don't know the list of them. And I would say that the best way to find out is you can definitely send in a complaint and we will definitely follow up with the company. Um, And they can tell us whether they're part of the waiver or not.
3: Okay, thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. I do, Clark. I don't want to uh, stop mentioning ACB leadership, uh, <laughs> but
0: and your web, your
2: email. But I do Absolutely. have to stop uh, in a, in a, just a few minutes.
0: Yeah. So we'll take one more question here. But as always, these are great questions to send to advocacy at acb dot org. And if we don't know the answer, we'll be we'll be sure to pass them along to Will and the FCC. Ray Campbell, you should be able to mute. Thank you, Linda, and good afternoon, uh, Will and uh, Diane. Uh, Two quickies. um, He said one, I'm going to make it two. Uh, One is um, how do you subscribe to the – Karen, be quiet. How do you subscribe to the uh, access info uh, list? I seem to have been kicked off of it a while back, and I forgot how to subscribe. And my second question is, so if a TV set has accessible features and they have – the ability to uh, go over Wi-Fi and, say, play like Netflix and that kind of thing. Does does that service, uh, where it goes to the streaming service, have to be fully accessible as part of the set so that you can actually sign in and do things like that?
2: Uh, Two great questions. So you can send an email. Just send an email to accessinfo at FCC.gov. Um, and just write the word subscribe. Essentially, it's nothing fancy. Someone actually just reads your email and then types your name into the um, system. So there's no magic words other than, you know, add me to the list. Um, and then uh, regarding your other question, smart TVs um, that were manufactured after, oh, I'd have to look up the exact date, 2018, I think, uh, sometime, um, those have to be accessible, right so there 's devices that were uh, created before this rule uh, was implemented, and after it 's been a few years that it 's been in place, and um, uh, it the accessibility uh, features have to apply to devices that uh, or to apps that are built into the device so if Netflix came on the smart TV and the smart TV is covered under that time frame then Yes, then I, I believe uh, that the that particular app would have to also be accessible and that the accessibility stuff includes, you know, finding the programs and things like that. And I can't I can't imagine that signing in um, would be left out. But, um, you know, again, every time I kind of get a new new complaint, um, interesting things. Well, I learned interesting things about the rules that I've been living with
0: for, for years and years. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ray. And Diane and Will, thank you so much for your time here today. I know my main takeaway is that the FCC and the Disability Rights Office, uh, you all are there and you're you're working for us as consumers and that if we have any issues, we can email Clark and then Clark will pass it along to the FCC Disability Rights Office. And folks, be sure to keep an eye out either for FCC emails or their rulemakings. I know last year uh, we were able to compile audio description comments received by our members and include those as an appendix to our rulemaking on the expansion of broadcast designated market areas passing through audio description. And that certainly helps our cause when we can uh, include comments from our members all around the country. So again, Will and Diane, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And we look forward to working with you. And as Will and Diane exit Zoom room via the sign out, uh, we'll give a little moment here for our next panelists to all log in and join the dais. And our next panel on broadband adoption will kick off here in just a few minutes at 205.